hear you perfectly. Oh, you sound great. You have a new microphone. How can you tell? Oh my gosh. You it, it sound it sounds like you're in my ears. <laughs> yeah, this is uh this is a beautiful, beautiful microphone. I am trying to align mine perfectly. Oh, there's the there we go. Excellent. Good. So um, so I, I, it's a good thing that I, a few minutes ago, um, I actually looked at the instruction manual for this because the, the way, the way that I was talking into it before was wrong. Were you, <laughs> um, maybe one of our listeners will draw this. Were you talking into the cord portion? How were, how was it wrong? No. Well, it was so, so one of the things that it says in the very minimalist instruction manual is that you should, uh, it, it works best when, when the microphone is, uh, like pointed directly at you right. and I had it turned to the side and so I could see the volume control, but the, what you're supposed to be able to do is when you're talking into it, uh, you're supposed to be able to see the, uh, the green led. And so right. I've adjusted the positioning and, uh, it's good. I can't I- see what the volume control says but but that's not important no you want to be able to see what the green led that it's on that it's working yes yes excellent let me uh let me open up our uh oh so let's we, let's jump right into uh um to follow up i don't even need to open up the uh um notes file to tell you that i love folding text and i'm, I'm really glad that you phrased it that way instead <laughs> of how you phrased it in the text file because as i pointed out in my comment um it's a family show it is it is we don't want that <laughs> explicit tag on um itunes but i i wanted to express that um it absolutely made things a lot easier uh for me as i was doing show preparation as we do well, good. I'm I'm so glad. I yeah, it's a it's just a gorgeous app and I I'm glad that I, I you know, I I have been I tried I try very hard not to inflict my preferences. Well, that's not true. Um <laughs> many times I try not to inflict my preferences. Um when it comes to software anyway, but uh but this is a very cool app and I'm glad you like it and I thought it really would help us with the show note prep. So I'm I'm glad I'm glad that you you agree. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's awesome. Um so you know, we we nerded out in After Dark in episode 34 um a little bit about this. So I, I if uh, someone um, missed episode 34, at least the after dark portion and wants to know what we're talking about, go check it out. But, but we have this new, um, well new to me, um, app where, um, where it makes it easier for us to share our text file for notes. And, uh, and it's nice, like, as you had mentioned so poignantly, um, in 34, I can now click through and close down all the topics and we can skip forward and skip ahead. So it's, it's awesome. So, yeah. Thank, thank, I, I am happy to be uh, uh, happy for you to inflict your software on me. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that you like folding text. <laughs> ah, so what's going on? Well, I just realized that one of the things that I try to do when I'm when I'm in my home office setup is to not be on Wi-Fi, and uh, and right now it shows that I'm on Wi-Fi, but I th- I'm also on a hardwired connection, and so what I'm going to do, and and we'll fix this in in post, is I'm going to turn off my Wi-Fi, but it, I still should keep the connection because I have an Ethernet connection. So hold on. Okay. Okay, my Wi-Fi is off. Are you still there? Definitely, that oh. worked. All right, cool. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think it should hopefully preferentially use Ethernet if it's there, but I'm never sure. So, yep. all right, it works. You're on. Good. Excellent, excellent. So uh, yeah. Oh yes. So we so we have some we have some follow up. 
uh, to episode uh, 34, which is uh, uh, nicely indicated in the, <laughs> the folding text text file. Um, you had asked me about like downloads and, and do we know like how many people are listening to the show? And all I can tell you is that the Amazon S3, where we're hosting the actual physical podcast file, the the MP3 file, is cryptic at best. Uh, you can download a really complicated spreadsheet that has lots of cool information, most of which means really nothing to me. But if you look at it in the right way, it looks like whatever is happening, more of it is happening. Um, okay. the, like the da- <laughs> The uploads are constant, which is good because uploads are us putting stuff on the server, right? The downloads are increasing. So, um, but you know, another interesting thing came up, um, and I had actually I had sent an email to uh, to Marco Arment about this, um, and actually he responded right away, which which blew my mind. But it was about his uh, podcast uh, about cars called Neutral. And he had done a an ad read for Squarespace. He said, oh, and it's no problem to host your podcast files on Squarespace. And I emailed him and said, you know, I don't think that's true. And he said, actually, I know it's true because that's how we're hosting the files for uh, the neutral. And and in fact, it turns out that uh, we're, we're on Squarespace. We are on Squarespace 5. Um, and, and there you're limited to 20 meg or smaller files. If you go to using Squarespace 6, uh, they'll actually let you – put specifically only podcast files um, up to 120 megs, which would be plenty big enough. And the tracking that we get right now on the on the on the the, the website for the, all the other stuff except for MP3 downloads, on, which is on Squarespace, is really nice. So I think I threatened months ago that I was going to move us to Squarespace six, and then of course I didn't. But anyway, at, at some point, um, uh, that's something that I think that we should do, and then we could, if it doesn't mess everything up, we can move the uh, the hosting of the files uh, over to uh, over to uh, Squarespace. Cool. Um, did. Uh did Marco mention whether you get really good tracking information or is that like, would that be our, uh, a bonus for us? Well, I think given the tracking that, it, that Squarespace gives us right now for all of, because basically if you go to foodsafetytalk.com, that's hosted on Squarespace, on Squarespace, using Squarespace 5 software. And the information that we get there about who's coming to that website and what they're doing is, is great. So I suspect that we would also get similarly great um, information if we just simply move the MP3 file to that same um, situation. And everybody seems to like Squarespace 6. Um, well, not everybody, but but lots of people seem to like Squarespace 6 uh, as much as 5 or, or maybe even better. Sweet. Well, let's do it. Let's, let's make it happen. <laughs> and by let's make it happen, you mean you want me to do it? Well, I, I, maybe. I think. Yeah, I, yeah. I'll, it's okay. You'll I'll, get right on that. Right. Yeah, no, I, I will. I will. I will make some time. I'm going to have some time over the weekend and next week, so uh, it, I'll put it on my list. And I will. Uh, um, I, I will follow up with the promise of uh, t-shirts and other promotional materials, and, and this will be cool. Yeah, it, it'd be good. It, it'd just be good for us to know. Um, but I'm glad, as you reported with the with the Amazon S3, that whatever we're whatever people are doing, that they're doing more of it. <laughs> I like exactly. that. Yeah, it's good. We're we're exp- we're we're expanding. We are whatever oh, it was. Oh, and speaking of expanding, um, I have. Uh, I'm going to jump down a little bit, but um, we have potentially we have definitely one new listener and potentially two new listeners. So I was at the 
uh, IAFP program committee slash board meeting in Charlotte uh, just this past weekend, and I told two people about the podcast. And one is David Tharp, who who you know, and and many of our food safety professional type listeners will know, is the executive director of IAFP. And Ian Jensen, who is a colleague of ours and also actually a colleague of Andreas's uh, from Australia. And uh, Ian shared with me – well, I told him about the podcast and I told him that I knew Andreas because Andreas is doing the show notes for us and blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and he actually sent me an email. He's back in Australia now. He sent me an email saying that he actually downloaded and listened to a couple of episodes. So – no word whether David Tharp is yet listening. I did share with David that we've kind of appropriated that um, uh, IAFP uh, thermometer logo. But as I sh- shared with him, we're also not making any money on the podcast. So I'm pretty sure it's non-commercial use. Right. I think we're fine. Yeah. Is Ian um, Ian Jensen, is he with um, or Meat and Livestock Australia? Is that, he is. Yeah. The one the same. Yeah. So and I, I knew I've known him as Ian. I couldn't remember what his last name was. But uh, yeah, we've uh, we've run into each other. He's he's a nice guy, and, and I'm glad that he's listening. So hey, what's up? And uh, that's that's cool. Always good to grow uh, our listeners. Um, so well, and a follow up from from 35 or th- from 33. Um, we uh, we mentioned that uh, Renee Boyer's uh, uh, class is uh, listening to the podcast, um, except I. I'm not sure because we posted the uh, podcast, uh, I guess, uh, four days ago, five days ago, and I've not received any messages from anybody in her class um, or anything. So hopefully – so what? So this is another shout-out to uh, Dr. Boyer's uh, food microbiology class um, or food safety class, I guess it is. Uh, please uh, let us know if you're, if you're listening and if you want uh, some, some cool swag, uh, send Don and I or I a message and we'll get, we'll get you something cool. And, and so, yeah, so I guess there's probably two possible explanations. Either they're not listening or they are listening and they're lazy. That's... And neither one of those is good. No, it could be. It's right. Exactly. It's one of those two things. I would um, – I don't know. I'm not sure which – I think it might – or it could be could be both. They could be listening. They could be, or they could be not listening and lazy. <laughs> yes. That's exactly that's exactly right. Thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. And and they won't know. They won't know what we're talking about. Um, cool. Uh, so where else where else do we want to go for uh, um, follow up? What if uh, what if we jump to this uh, memo? Um, oh yeah, let's talk about plastic bags. Yeah, let's talk about let's talk about bag, bags and Watson and Crick and click and Crick and clack and clack. Um, so after uh, we talked about this in. Uh, episode 34, and again, going back to episode 19, uh, this is something that, that I've been focusing on quite a bit um, around reusable bags. Uh, I, you know, I did this blog post, and we talked about it in the last episode, and uh, a couple of days after we had recorded this, I got a, um, an email uh, from uh, Tomas uh, Aragon, uh, who is the um, uh, public health officer uh, in um, from the Department of Public Health in San Francisco, and he uh, said, "Hey, um, you know, thanks for mentioning this. Here's my memo uh, that I sent out around the reusable bags. So you feel free to share." And so it's kind of cool. He they um, he was he was quoted in the San Francisco Chronicle article that we linked to last time, and he had he had done a really nice. Um, uh, analysis of the uh, the click um, grocery bag paper 
Uh, and just, you know, we'll, we'll link to this, the show notes. You said, feel free to share. So I will do that. Um, w- the one thing that I, I wanted to, um, uh, uh, highlight in here, um, was one, one of his bullet points and which really comes down to the central theme of, uh, of the, the click and write, uh, paper. Um, so, and uh, just to get around some of the public health stuff, I'm not going to quote directly, but he basically says the authors analyzed deaths due to, um, a certain set of death codes. So it's ICDD 10 cause of death codes, a double zero, a zero nine, which means infectious diseases. Um, from 2000 to 2010, San Francisco had a total of 140 deaths from these causes. However, 111 of them were for code a 47, which was, um, uh, enterocolitis due to clostridium dif- difficile. So even within the, w- which I thought that was the, the best point out of out of his whole analysis here was, the, you know, they had used these deaths um, as an indicator, but really, only, you know, of an indicator of higher levels of specifically pathogenic E. coli in bags. Um, but really, the the data that they cited um, only um, uh, uh, twenty nine of the the deaths that they cited could have been something that was E. coli, uh, cause everything else was C. difficile. So I just, I thought that was, um, you know, even, even greater data, uh, b- behind, um, some of our criticisms. So. Yeah. And that's that, this is a wonderful memo and, uh, and I, I posted it in, uh, in my Dropbox and, and we should be able to share that. Shouldn't get too many hits. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's just, you know, I mean, Good for good for them for getting us out there, and this just shows the the dangers of analyzing data that you don't really understand, like where that data came from. Yeah, and and what's what's behind it, and then being you know just um, grouping everything all together, and I mean not to hammer on the the point of um, sort of co- correlation and causation, but but even here the correlation with what the objective was didn't doesn't fit now that we see the memo. So it's good, and really, I mean, I don't know if uh, if Dr. Aragon's a, a listener, but but props to him for sending this on to us. <laughs> so, oh, hey, do you think he sent it because he is a listener? I th- he might have. He, he might have. Who knows? Well, you also wrote something for Barplug. I though, did. Right? I did. I but think it's more likely that he's a Barplug reader. But we, it's possible. But who knows? Maybe what Amazon's showing us is that more of what we're doing and being downloaded is actually coming from San Francisco. We don't know that. <laughs> Could be, Don. Could be. Could 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 be. Could be. And you know, speaking of of traffic and and where stuff where people come to us and find out about us, um, we do get a lot of traffic coming from from Barf Blog. So, um, I really ought to write a post on Barf Blog and then and plug the podcast and and uh, and and if if Doug will will let us do that. So I think he will. I can I can get it out there. We can make it happen. Yeah. So uh, just a little bit more follow up on uh, the last episode um, I uh, we talked a lot about octothorpes probably too much about octothorpes um, and I at one point said it was called a splat and in fact it's not called a splat at all uh, a splat is another name for an asterisk or um, on on Apple it's the Apple command key that is sometimes called uh, splat but uh, but an octothorpe is not the same as a splat although um, the splat gets its name because that looks like you hit something and it went splat, which kind of could kind of describe the octothorpe. But <laughs> so anyway, not the same thing. How how did this come up? Did did one did someone correct you? How do you or was this a uh, self uh, self audit? 
just self self correction. I was like, as soon as I said it, I thought about it. like, you know, that's not right. I'm pretty sure that's not right. But then I had to go and, and Google it to be sure that I was correcting myself. So it's just self correction. Good, good job. And and speaking of self correction, I, I think I shared uh, Chuck Haas's reaction to our workflow on the last episode, but I was doing it from memory. Actually, his actual response is way better. Um, it's a one, it's a one word response via email, and it's yipes. So uh, apparently, our workflow is kind of complicated. But I did I did try the new workflow that you talked about. I think with me in the after dark, uh, where uh, you put the icon in in the in the right place and you can bring it into iTunes and you put the, you put the the image in and then and then export it uh, and then it works fine and I did that and it looks like it, it showed up just fine so it did yeah yeah I, I even there there was a uh, uh, co-host that uh, audit on that one and it worked uh, nicely when I downloaded it so I used it and put it up so good good stuff excellent cool well um, it's you know it's like it's like when you get a new pair of underwear and socks like I do at Christmas every year I, I just love that I'm now clicking through our show notes and be like, oh, we've got all these headlines. We can it's all organized. I don't even know where to go. I'm so giddy. <laughs> well, why don't we why don't we start at the top? All right. Um, so I <laughs> this this is my uh, pop culture reference. Um, I want to know from you whether you have ever um, or have purchased iTunes Match um, at all. So this is a uh, a service that Apple runs, uh, $24.99 a year. It will take, um, you know, a, a, one of your libraries, music libraries in iTunes uh, folder and will upload it to the cloud. And that allows you to stream all of your music um, uh, from a, any, uh, a, you know, any iTunes or iOS um, uh, machine. Um, and actually, when I say upload, it doesn't actually upload all of it. It'll take all of your, your music and it'll match it to what's in the iTunes store and then make that available for you to stream it. And then anything that's not there, it uploads. Um, I had been like hesitant on doing this for a while because I had read some horror stories about how it um, took forever and, and wasn't working. And, and then I started and stopped a couple of times uh, after I – because it took forever. But I But now I can report that I have um, – 11,000 songs that go with me wherever I go without carrying my iPod. I now just have my phone. Or as I went to Starbucks yesterday, I didn't even need my phone. I was just able to stream my entire music uh, library from my MacBook Air, and it was awesome. And it made me remember how great Rancid is, which was a band that I had not loaded onto any of my sort of portable. It wasn't on my phone or anything, and it just came up, and and they're so good. So. Very cool. Yeah, I did. Actually, I also was very late to the iTunes match game just because I had heard stories about it messing things up. And every time I thought about it, I was about to leave on a trip and would be without my home fast, free, you know, or whatever, relatively free uh, Wi-Fi. And so I resisted it. But I did just recently in the last month or so turn it on. And I've been very, very happy with it. I, But, you know, the thing is, I since I discovered podcasts, I really just don't listen to music all that much. I, I occasionally do if I... If I feel like I really need to get motivated and, and write something, and then and then I'm looking for something you know something to listen to, typically without uh, without lyrics that that I really like. Um, but yeah, I, I I have very much enjoyed uh, iTunes uh, iTunes Match. Yeah, and it's for me um, when I am um, writing or or processing email for, for the most part, I'm listening to music. So I'm I, I, although yeah, I know, I know you're. Um, 
you know, way into podcasts. I'm, I'm listening to maybe three or four, and most of them while I'm driving uh, and at the gym. Those are my, my sort of two big podcast areas uh, or doing dishes or, or stuff, you know, kind of in the house when no one's around. But I'm, I'm definitely a music guy when it comes to, uh, to work stuff. So this was kind of nice to, to have, you know, just access to a bunch of stuff that I had not thought about for a while and it's uh it's working great i mean it, it made me and and how kind of reliable the stream is um even just on the lte network or when it drops down to 4g on my iphone um made me kind of think that i will probably subscribe to whatever the um itunes streaming rumored streaming service uh is when it when it comes out because then then i'll be able to listen to more rancid that i don't have do you know do you know rancid yeah, I'm. Uh, you know what? And I just, I'm just realizing I'm sitting here staring at my call recorder button, and I thought I for sure I clicked it, uh, but it looks like I am not recording the call. So, I hope you are. I am. I'm definitely recording. Oh, and I think you're actually supposed to do audio on this yeah, one, right? Perfect. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start recording now. Uh, that's so weird. I thought I had that on. I'm. I'm gonna start recording now. So we've got at least uh, part of it. But anyway, cool. uh, good. Good. Good for you for <laughs> recording the call. That's always good. Redundancy is good. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I am not. Uh, I know of Rancid, but they're generally. There's not something that I. I would typically uh, listen to. Well, that's all right. I'm. Uh, you know. You know me. Like like we've talked about before. Kind of like a uh, hippie uh, punk rock kind of guy. So. <laughs> and I, w- I would gather from the name, Rancid is more in the punk rock than the hippie category. That's so, right. Yes, they are. They are uh, um, California. Uh, punk rock band, and I will I will set you up with a couple of MP3s in the podcast. Oh, very um, good. I, I've actually I've been listening to um, actually a couple of different things because again I think we've talked about this before. Is I, when I'm writing, I really don't do too well with uh, music with words, e- even if it's even if it's stuff that I know pretty well. It just doesn't doesn't work too well. So uh, I think I, I mentioned I was listening to Fat Boy Slim recently, which I, I really or maybe that came up in the in the conversation with Andreas. I don't remember now, but anyway. Fat Boy Slim. There's another great um, artist called R.L. Burnside, who I think I think I found out about this one from uh, a Starbucks, like listening, like hearing music in a Starbucks. I think, man, that is just really rocking. Um, and then uh, the other thing that I've been listening to is a a sampler. Um, it, the the genre in iTunes shows up as dance, but it's basically just real good. Like uh, like kind of uh, rock and blues stuff, uh, and it's uh, it's the the uh, album is called Bite Harder, uh, the Music De Wolf Studio Sampler Volume Two, and I found out about this from somebody that I I followed uh, on Tumblr who just tweeted about this thing, and I'm like, yeah, okay, let's go take a look, and and went on iTunes and played a little bit of a couple of songs, and my my rule with an album is if I if I listen to a couple of songs, just sort of picked at random from the album. And and they really they immediately grab me. It's like okay, I'm going to go buy the album. So I've been been listening to that and and really uh, really enjoying that. Sweet. Um, and and another another one too. While we're thinking about this music without words that you can rock out to, I can't say the name on on the podcast, but I found out about this again from a tweet uh, from Scott Simpson. But it's a band called um, the, the first. It's a two word band name, and the first part is Holy. Yes. And then it, yeah, you heard of them? Yeah, I think you yeah. gave me some some uh, uh, MP3s a while ago of them. They're on my they're on my iPod. They're in iTunes Match now. Yeah, so really just cool stuff. Cool. Um, 
or yeah, maybe not. I don't know where I got them, but I do know who they are. Yes. So our uh, so, hey, you're you're sounding a little bit robotic there. Oh. Do you have uh, something running in the background? I well, I just did a a search. Let me see. I do. You know what I have running in the background? <laughs> iTunes match. <laughs> because oh, you know what? Shoot, I just uh, I just opened iTunes and uh, yes. it's doing something on my computer too. That's, so yeah, good goodbye iTunes. Goodbye. Oh yeah, and you're hanging. Am I still sounding pretty robotic? No, you you were fine. Okay. Actually, you sounded fine. Um, when I said you sounded robotic, you had actually already started sounding fine okay, again. Good. So good. So is R.L. Burnside? Uh, I just Wikipedia this. Is it? Mm-hmm. Is he a, a blues artist? Is that he is? Yeah. But and and again, I have I, I'm still trying to get to where I can mute and use the microphone and type on the keyboard all this new microphone and type on the keyboard all at the same time, um, which I used to be pretty good at with the old setup, but not not, not so much on this setup. Um, and, and, and so it means that my Wikipedia Wikipedia ing ability is uh, is is limited. But yeah, he so he's like a blues artist, but he has embraced kind of this whole sampling culture. And uh, I, I don't know, like like how I mean, again, I haven't looked at the Wikipedia article in a while, but it just it's just very cool. Cool. I'm gonna I'll check him out. Not to be confused with uh, um, tween uh, author R. L. Stein. Right. That's a different thing. Thank God my kids were never really into that. Yeah. I don't know. Is Arl Stein like a uh, – all I remember, I, I missed out on that one as well. I wasn't sure if it was – oh, yeah, there he is. Um, referred to as the Stephen King of children's literature. Oh, there you go. That's, that's a good – that's a tagline for you. <laughs> right. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Well, let's move – should we move on to some food safety? We probably should. Um Let's uh, let's see what we should uh, we should talk about here. Um, we got lots of stuff in here. Anything that uh, kind of grabs your attention? Well, um, how about uh, how about we start with the the first uh, food safety story that you put in uh, the farmers markets? Yeah, or the first one in in the list. Yeah, the first one in the list. Um, so uh, there is an article that we'll uh, link to, obviously, in show notes um, from. Um, the Sun Times, which I think is a Florida um, uh, paper, or sorry, Chicago Sun Times. So what am I? What am I even talking about? Florida? Um, it's sunny in Florida. It is sunny. It's, in a, it's a logical name for a Florida newspaper. It was. It should be the the Chicago Windy Times. <laughs> um, anyway, an article talking about um, FISMA implementation, um, and uh, there's just a, a quote in this article that I wanted to to highlight that I thought was was interesting um, from a uh, risk standpoint, and to get, get your thoughts on it. So, anyway, the article is really all about. Um, Farmers markets not uh, really being affected by uh, new food safety rules, uh, mainly because of the exemptions around selling direct to consumers. That's not the interesting part to me. The interesting part to me is what um, uh, a a vendor at one of these farmers markets said. Um, Her name's Kate Flannery. She's co-owner of Green Acres Agronomics and Mycology in Valparaiso and uh, said the vertical indoor farm which is a uh, you know, greenhouse um, uh, type production area, so that that type of production area wouldn't fall under the new rules, uh, and, and the rules wouldn't apply to her business anyway. And her quote here and is, um, it's about this controlled environment, this indoor farming. Um, it's safer. There are no birds flying overhead, leaving droppings. There's no contaminants. These are elements that could create health issues, she said of the farm, which produces different varieties of lettuce, microgreens, and herbs, some of which is sold at local restaurants. And 
Um, I, the, the reason why this kind of caught my attention is, uh, and I've talked about this in, in the past, I worked when I was um, doing my master's degree uh, closely with the Ontario Greenhouse Vegetable Growers um, uh, Grower Association around food safety um, plans and uh, implementing good agricultural practices. It, and, you know, the greenhouse vegetable growers are in largely a controlled environment, uh, one with, with not a whole lot of um, – uh, uh, birds flying overhead, I'll, I'll give her that. But but it's not a environment that's without risk. And um, and, and in fact, working with with that group, um, there are quite a few things that didn't, you know, in, in my experience with other production systems, didn't happen, but did happen because it was a closed environment. One of them was. Um, uh, there's no there's no soil or uh, you know very little um, dirt that that gets tracked around uh, a greenhouse, but uh, because of that, there seems to be this like um, sort of anecdotally uh, uh, situation where people don't. Uh, aren't sort of concerned about their feet and their footwear and, and tracking what they may have brought in from outside, which could have been, uh, you know, through some animal production or um, some other uh, area into that greenhouse and are walking sort of all over the place on it. There's a lot of um, uh, metal carts and ladders that were used in those uh, in, in the environments that I, that I was in was because the, the the tomatoes or the cucumbers are grown um, just like uh, you know what what Kate says uh, vertically so you would be climbing um, uh, a cart and what's on their shoes could end up on their hands and this is um, not something you know I saw these practices anecdotally but it was um, also referred to in a in a paper probably and I'll, I'll link to this one in, in show notes and I'm going from memory here so there may be some some self auditing later on but uh, it's a, a paper looking at greenhouse production um, in Mexico uh, talking absolutely specifically about this that there are perceptions that it was a uh, w- within the workforce that it was a safer um, environment but there were a lot of things that that happened could that could drag uh, contamination around and I guess my, my point on this was um, it, you know it's not a it's not a risk free environment because no none environment no, no environments are risk free. Um, her other comment about uh, birds flying overhead. One of the things that that I did see quite a bit of in the the greenhouse environment wasn't birds flying overhead, but but something that I actually thought was uh, potentially much more risky, which is birds nesting, uh, because it's a uh, got some infrastructure that there are um, you know uh, oftentimes in uh, in, in the, the greenhouse environment there's shading so there's there's some uh, sort of uh, cloth that's dragged over top of uh, the crop because it may get a little bit too hot a little bit too much direct sunlight and they can control it those the, you know, and venting um, birds can absolutely get into to those systems and in fact really like it because it's warm during the winter and and nest and nesting birds was a real big you know situation so it sounds like you know from kate's comments that that's not an issue for her but um i wouldn't say that that's common across all uh greenhouse uh type um situations yeah and i would say that it, it it's a controlled environment and i would not say it's safer i would say that the risks are different and, and that's that's the main thing is that, yes, there's certain things you need to worry about on a farm, 
but and there's other things you need to worry about in a greenhouse. I mean, one of the things, and this would be really interesting, and there's been some published research that's kind of alluded to this, is on a farm where something is out in the sunlight, and assuming that there is sunlight, uh, UV light actually kills bacteria, right? So if you happen to get some contamination on a leaf of a leafy green, and then there, I'm not, I'm not advocating this as a food safety control measure. I'm just pointing out that it's different. That UV light kills bacteria. Now, my understanding and my recollection of the way UV light works is that I don't I don't think UV penetrates greenhouses. Now, you get other frequencies of light, which the plants need to grow, but I'm not sure that the UV does. So anyway, so it's, you know, you don't have those things helping to make it safer. But boy, um, you got water and you got to really worry about that water. And, and, and you have other things that can go wrong. And you, can, you could have it as sites where harbored sites within the facility. So, I, yeah, I'm... I'm not convinced that it's – it's like people say, oh, well, organic is safer or local is safer. It's like, well, no, it's just different and there's different different risks. So that that's where I'd net out on that. Yeah, and, and I mean uh, – yeah, I agree with you exactly. I think that for someone to say, oh, well, you know, I don't have to worry about these rules. Yeah, the rules wouldn't apply to me not just because of my exemption because I don't, I don't grow outside is also – um, kind of a, a you know a bit of a trap statement that well who man I think you you might be concerned about some of those those hazards that do pop up that are different and I would hope that they that they did look at that so yeah that that was one that kind of caught my caught my attention here yeah, um, absolutely you want to go to you want to talk about horse meat a little bit yes it's so <laughs> been so in the news. Um, and it's been not only in the in the the food safety news, but it's gotten it's it's gone into the popular culture news. I noticed that uh, Gruber linked to a video uh, on Daring Fireball Group. Gruber linked to a video, or maybe it was on Twitter, but maybe Daring Fireball too. We'll look for it. Um, uh, a video of the Swedish chef, <laughs> the Muppet Swedish chef making uh, meatballs. So anyway, yeah, it's 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 reached the point in popular culture. Yeah, absolutely. So for for those who haven't. Um, you know who are listening to the podcast is their only source of popular culture, um, just and, and uh, haven't been following the news. Uh, no, we don't recommend that. No, as just a strategy. I just looked at it may happen. It may happen, especially uh, if they're shut-ins. Right, it was, oh, the only place. Um, there's a whole bunch of, uh, um, I, I guess, food fraud issues going on in in Europe uh, linked to um, beef from one. Um, uh, supplier essentially where uh, there was horse meat that was um, blended in with beef uh, meat uh, horse meat being that it's a you know, a, a cheaper meat source blended in and not uh, sort of masked by the the beef uh, in some processed uh, products lasagnas um, uh, you you mentioned meatballs that sort of came out from uh, Italian authorities from IKEA uh, testing some IKEA products uh, but it, it seems to be a pretty pretty widespread um, across uh, the UK and um, the the best the best thing that I kind of saw on this uh, uh, from a food safety standpoint was uh, a comment that uh, Hugh Pennington um, made um, and Hugh Pennington have you ever met Hugh Pennington like Don I mean you mean Sir Hugh? Sir Hugh, Sir Hugh. No, right. I have not met Sir Hugh. What? Have you? No, I haven't. But you're—I okay. mean, you're a well—you're a well-traveled lad, as they would say in in Scotland. Uh, <laughs> no, I would like to—I would someday like to meet Sir Hugh. He seems like he's—he's an okay dude. Yeah. Well, Sir Sir Hugh has been, um, uh, you know, I, I think I was introduced to him uh, as I started in food safety. There's a 
inquiry, public inquiry about a, a big uh, E. coli one five seven H seven outbreak that happened in Scotland that was linked to butchers, and he was. Um, overseeing that inquiry uh, in the UK. And then he also uh, was part of, uh, also led another inquiry uh, with another outbreak in Wales in 2006, I think it was, uh, with um, um, uh, John something and sons. I'll link to that later. Uh, anyway, so so Hugh, Sir Hugh is you know kind of a uh, microbiological celebrity uh, in the UK. He was asked about the horse meat from a safety standpoint, and I thought he had a really great um, great answer here. That, but but I want to sort of challenge on one thing here. Uh, said he said that uh, first of all, from a quality standpoint, the majority of consumers wouldn't be able to tell the difference between horse meat uh, and the equivalent from cattle. Uh, yeah, I I agree with that. Um, you know, especially in some of the um, highly seasoned uh, processed foods that, it, that it's in. And then his, his comment around safety was there, are, you know, uh, and, and this was uh, highlighted in the headlight, headline, which was um, Hugh Pennington uh, or food expert claims Scots are safer eating horse meat than beef, which I'm sure the beef industry loved. But he, his comment was there have not been E. coli cases associated with horse meat, uh, though there are around 1,000 cases linked to cattle in the U.K. each year. And and I you know to me and I thought of you when I when I read this quote that um, the denominator matters uh, in I'm, this one. <laughs> ben, this is I, my work here is done. This is the last episode of the podcast. We're, we're, we're done. I've, I've successfully transmitted all of my knowledge to your brain. <laughs> there it is. The denominator yeah. matters. I, I was just I was just thinking the exact same thing. The denominator matters. So if people eat a lot less horses, you're going to have a lot less cases, even if the risk is the same. What I what I would do is I would look at, okay, well, so what had what's been done on surveys of you know horse uh, feces for E. coli, specifically for pathogenic E. coli, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, yeah, no, I, that exactly nails it. Yeah, exactly. But but I guess I was a little and and maybe this was a you know a case of. Uh, of Sir Hugh, um, you know, being misquoted or not misquoted, but not, you know, uh, his quote taken out of context. Cause I mean, it, it was definitely something that, that popped up in that headline that made the story, uh, good, but it just seemed like that, that would be, um, you know, not something that the, it, 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 it wouldn't be something that I would expect him to say, not knowing Sir Hugh at all, just for, based on his, uh, his eloquence, uh, around his, uh, uh, public inquiry, uh, work. So, so it was a little bit surprising to see that, uh, in there, but yes, the denominator matters. Yep. Exactly. Right. And you know, I really did. I really did think that he was, he was a knight, but apparently he's not. <laughs> well, whatever, but that's okay. Yeah. Sir, uh, Sir Hugh Bonneville. From not to be confused with uh, Hugh Bonneville from uh, Downton Abbey fame, <laughs> Late, um, Lord Grantham. <laughs> sure. <sighs> Where to go? Where to go here? Um, yeah. So let's let's talk about let's 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 talk about AmazingRibs dot com. Yes. So I, you know, this is so funny. Um, I uh, again, as I mentioned, I was at the IAFP. Uh, program committee meeting recently in Charlotte and had the occasion to spend some time with uh, Mary Lou Tortorella, who's a wonderful, wonderful scientist, uh, works at FDA, probably does not listen to the podcast, but just a real, real nice lady, real smart lady. And um, 
we were just chatting as as you do uh over dinner and you know I was just querying her about about her <laughs> I was querying her about her life Tur- well it turns out actually we were both at Cornell University at the same time she was an undergrad uh there or she was in graduate school there while I was an undergrad although she was in the micro department and I was uh, in food science um I actually took uh general micro from uh, a gen- an older gentleman that I had known my whole life because he, he was a, a hockey coach back when I played youth hockey. And then he retired or passed away. And then uh, Lou actually took over teaching that class for him. So anyways, we had a little bit of bonding about, about that and our, our time in Ithaca and what a wonderful town it is. And then I was like, oh, so what does your husband do? And, and she kind of laughed and she says he runs a website. And I said, oh, uh, what, uh, what website is that? And she said, it's called AmazingRibs.com. And, and apparently he makes a pretty good living at it. Um, and, and then I went to the website and I, I see how he makes a living because there's lots of ads. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes, there are. Um, and, there, and there is a lovely, a lovely and disturbing image of a, a woman. And I linked this on my Tumblr page uh, of a woman standing next to a grill. Um, which uh, we'll link to in, in show notes. Um, but but apparently, I mean, you know, ads aside, and it is it is that just bugs me a little bit about the site. But but I mean, this is a guy who obviously really cares about ribs. I mean, this is a guy who has really put, poured his heart and soul into this website, and uh, and good for him, man. Good for him that he can earn a living doing this because that's that's just that's just very cool. Well, yeah, and and although it's uh, amazingribs.com, he's got a ton of other grilled uh, uh, foods uh, that are on here, you know, uh, burgers, pizza, hot dogs. He's the, in in Canada, I would say he's the barbecue guy, but I can't say that here in North Carolina because that would mean he only does, uh, you know, pork, pulled pork barbecue. So he's the grill master. He's the grill guy. A lot of stuff. A lot of stuff on here. Yeah, and and again, as as a, the wife, uh, the husband of a food safety person, as you would hope and expect, um, he actually has uh, thermometers and stuff for sale. So that's that's very cool. Yeah, uh, and sort of yeah, it talks about uh, uh, some different uh, different temperatures and stuff. So yeah, it was it was cool. Thanks for thanks for sharing that. You bet. Well, um, do you want to talk about roadkill? Sure. Let's talk about roadkill. All right. Well, you added something uh, into our show notes about an article or an article, uh, a post that I uh, uh, wrote for for Barf Blog about uh, roadkill. And I'm th- this is something that's that's popped up. Um, I don't know if I'm like becoming Doctor Roadkill or something, <laughs> um, but I did an interview uh, for the American Vet Med Association back uh, before Christmas. Um, like a podcast on roadkill. And it was kind of like someone from the vet college here was like, do we, uh, they don't, they didn't have anybody who could talk about sort of the safety of the meat. And I don't know a whole lot about roadkill. So I kind of scrounged up what was in the literature and took a, you know, did a little bit of digging on, um, what kind of pathogens might be associated with it and, and try to do this, this podcast. Uh, I'm not, I'm not podcast cheating on you. I refer to it as a, it was really an interview, Don. Um, and, uh, okay. <laughs> I realized when I said podcast, and then I just thought, "Oh, Don's going to think I'm cheating on him." Um, it's okay. 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 You're not hurt, are you? It's not at all. Okay. All right. No, <laughs> I'm not. All right. <laughs> well, 
let's talk roadkill. So the question comes up. Uh, I mean, two things have been posted to me over this this uh, uh, issue in, in uh, a few different forums now. Um, so, you know, basically the question is, tell me about the safety of roadkill. Uh, what are the risks associated with roadkill? And if someone was going to eat roadkill, um, what? how should they handle it? What, you know, you know we don't want to – so I couldn't sort of hide behind the, well, you shouldn't eat roadkill. And so, well – Assume someone is now. What would you tell them? What's the message out there? And so here's my here, here's kind of my my take on on roadkill. Um, it you know like like we've said on the podcast, like lots of things in food safety, it depends. Um, one of the things is what's the meat? You know, there's lots of um, anecdotally uh, from surfing the internet and uh, looking for roadkill recipes. It's, you know, not just big game, you know, things like moose and elk and deer, but um, possum, squirrel, uh, uh, birds. I mean, a whole bunch of other uh, other animals, not sort of the things that, you know, I, I would say the high value uh, roadkill uh, items. And, and so I kind of stayed away from uh, everything that wasn't, um, you know, deer, elk, moose. And because from my, my first, um, I, I guess... Uh, my, my first thought in my head is how do we make roadkill more like hunting? Um, because, you know, there, there is a little bit of information on the safety of, of hunted game. Um, we know that uh, hunted game um, deer and elk populations uh, do uh, um, uh, carry uh, um, uh, trichinella. Uh, they do carry uh, toxoplasma gondii. Uh, and, and so we, we do know a little bit about that. And, and it depends on the location and depends on um, and the season on those. But but we can sort of look at that. We know that they also carry uh, pathogenic E. coli. Uh, you know, S-Tex will be, uh, is, can be associated with, uh, with ruminants. Um, so I was like, well, let's let, let me. If I was gonna stick, if I was gonna look at roadkill, I'd stick to those uh, sort of ones that are like wild game. But there are some spots where it's not like hunting, and the, the biggest thing is not knowing potentially how long it's been at the side of the road. So if someone um, hits a, a deer uh, and then says, "Oh man, my car is in shambles," but hey, there's a you know 300 pounds of meat there. That's different than driving and happening upon that that meat, not knowing how long it had been uh, since the deer was was killed, um, how long it had been sitting at the ambient temperature, what the temperature was, uh, and and sort of all those types of things, which are going to um, potentially have a safety factor, but but could definitely have uh, quality issues on the meat as well. Um, so that's the first thing that I thought about, uh, and and the second, um, you know, kind of thing that 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 I focused on was well, what's the what's the benefit? And and this came up um, when, right before I wrote this this post last week. I gave a uh, a panel discussion uh, with a colleague who works on um, food. Um, uh, coping strategies for low food security individuals, and so she she uh, has, uh, along with uh, some other colleagues of hers, developed uh, a list of uh, of she had almost eighty different coping strategies that someone who doesn't have food goes through. So it could be eating foods, um, you know that. Um, that are out of date uh, from a from a quality standpoint. Something that uh, that a, a grocery store is trying to discount, um, uh, to, uh, you know, from uh, or um, 
uh, skipping meals, you know, some some of the sort of you know low low risk kind of things, all the way to um, you know dumpster diving and and roadkill, and so that's where we got into this this conversation of well, just assume that someone's going to do this, how would they do it safely? And so this is where I I kind of got into, you know. Um, you don't know much about the situation, but if someone was going to do it, I would be concerned about how they dress that that deer or how they um, deal with uh, you know taking out the the innards um, and not spreading any of the pathogens that might be in that GI tract around, and then the the preparation side of things. But but it's I mean this has been kind of a philosophic thing for me to look at is. Um, is there, you know, what's what's worse uh, to an individual? Is it not having food or having food that may carry higher risk, and, and then maybe trying to, to to control those risks? You know, making, um, you know, what you know, what I kind of wrote in this article was being hungry and sick from foodborne illness or another zoonosis isn't a good thing. So you know, it's but but not being hungry um, or, or trying to avoid hunger by, by some of these non-traditional sources like roadkill is, I mean, this is a real, this is a real issue. This is not a um, theoretical thing. There, there are absolutely people that, that don't have food that are, that are looking to roadkill as a, as a food source. So what, what do you, you know, what, where do you come in on this? Yeah, that's a really good question. And we also have, I have a colleague at Rutgers that does the same thing. Uh, that's uh, Deb Keenan. And she works with uh, through our, um, it used to be called WIC, and now it's called SNAP, I think. But anyway, works with people who are who are low income and who are not food secure. That is, they don't uh, always have enough to eat. And and she started engaging me on these issues a number of years ago. And on the one hand, the traditional extension part of me says, "What? No, don't eat roadkill." Right. But you know, and, and don't don't eat deaded cans. But 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 she. Um, Deb explained to me, look, we can tell people that, but they're going to do it anyway. So that's really a non-starter for us. What we have to do is say, okay, let's assume that people are going to do this practice that we know is not a good practice. Let's help them manage their risk within that context. And I think that's just, uh, it's tremendous. I mean, it's, again, the traditional extension folks would say, well, no, we're not going to do that, but but then you're not serving that audience. So, um yeah, so I helped her with working on some materials for how do you deal with dented cans? Like, well, okay, so you're going to shop dented cans because they're cheaper. Okay, so that means no bulged cans, right. uh, no no dents on the double seam, right? So just sort of things that, you know, thinking about it from a, again, from a risk perspective, uh, how you can do it. And and yeah, and I think you're, the way that you uh, came down on this, the roadkill thing is, is the same thing. Um, you know, people are going to do it. Um, there are, of course, quality issues. And one of the things that occurred to me that I, I didn't realize is, um, you know, which because I'm, I'm, I don't have a, you know, meat slaughter background, but um, uh, that if you hit a deer by the side of the road, that's not like just free meat. Like you have to then immediately, relative, assuming the deer is dead, relatively immediately hang the deer slit its throat so it can bleed out because if you leave that blood in the carcass, it will impact the quality. So right. given that you're going to do this, again, questionable practice, um, there are some things that you can do to improve the quality and certainly there are some things that you can do to, to mitigate safety. The thing that I worry about with roadkill is it's just, you know, you don't have any time data, right? So right. how long has that thing been sitting there? And 
you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of gross, but, but yeah, I mean, uh, but, but yeah, but, the, but, you know, given that people are going to do it, you know, how, how can you help, help, help them do it, uh, do it safely? I, I don't know. It's, uh, it, it's, it's a hard, that's a hard problem to solve. Well, and, and I mean that, you know, that, that's kind of the, the thing on that time that, um, you know, the, that I looked at is it's different if you hit it, <laughs> you know, if it's, if right. it's you, or if you see, if you saw it hit and you can sort of move in a, in a relatively quick manner to, um, to, to get it to, to where you're, you're, you know, you start processing that meat. Um, right. yeah, that's, that, that's it. But uh, I mean, it was, it was interesting. I gave this talk to a group of vets. Uh, it was for, uh, a one health, um, symposia and, you know, I, I'm not in the, the world of, you know, rabies or anything like that. Um, and so I'm, you know, I'm kind of asking them in this, you know, what's the, how susceptible the heat are some of the viruses that, that would be concerns in his, you know, zoonosis standpoint. Um, and you know, their, their answer back is like, you know, for, for the most part, they're going to be taken care of. I mean, just like we, we've seen with um, uh, messages around avian influenza and, and meat from uh, infected flocks. It, the, you know, the, the viruses that are concerned for animal pathogens aren't, you know, aren't going to um, survive a cooking process uh, typically. So it's like it becomes a handling issue. Um, but, it, yeah, it, it's just kind of opened up this whole other um, – you know, risk, risk benefit paradigm discussion, um, that, that's, you know, it, it, it is kind of, um, uh, I think important for us to look at because it's because, you know, exactly like you expressed, there are people that are going to do it. Um, so how do we, um, how do we do it? How do we help them do it safely? And I think the, um, it was it Deb Klein that you said was the, or, uh, Deborah Keenan. Keenan. So I think this uh, the the individual who I spoke with. Her name is uh, Andrea Anater. Anater. I think she studied under um, uh, Deborah Keenan. Like she oh, was cool. at Rutgers. Yeah. So we oh, cool. we had this this uh, uh, conversation because I was I talked to, uh, I mentioned that I did this podcast with you and she goes oh I know Don Shafter I was at Rutgers for a while oh awesome so, or I know yeah I know who he is so yeah yeah oh that's that's awesome yeah. Cool. Well, speaking of people that we know and speaking of roadkill, I think we cannot uh, we cannot leave this discussion uh, without uh, looking at the uh, follow up from Carl Custer. So you you were kind enough to post that in uh, in the show notes. So I'll just I'll just read I'll just read it and then uh, you can jump in where where appropriate. So this is I guess for this is from an email from Carl to yes. you. Is that right? Yeah, he responded to the Barf blog post. And Carl and Carl Carl is so great. Do you know does he listen to the podcast? I don't know, but it seems like he should. He would. He, he, he should. Well, yeah. he's he's featured prominently on 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 many episodes. Yeah. So I, I pink, pink slime was the last one I think. That's right. um, so so reading from Carl's email, uh, long ago Texas prohibited harvesting roadkill deer, asserting that they they meaning the deer belong to the state and very likely dissuading folks from taking out of season deer, which Mitch makes sense. Uh, he he goes on to write, I was living in graduate housing at Texas A and M in 1969 when my next door neighbor Tommy knocked on my door and in hushed tones asked for help. Uh, seems uh, Tommy had hit and killed a small deer with his pickup and needed help dressing it out. We hung it in the shower dressed it out and put the hide, hoofs, offal, and bruised parts in a garbage bag. And then Carl writes, I got one of the tenderloins. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love that. Nice one. story. Yeah. Uh, fla- flash forward. Uh, a few years later, I was in Belts- Beltsville, Maryland, and I was leaving the lab late one evening when a deer drum- jumped out of the woods and crossed the road. I watched it enter the woods on the other side and thus missed seeing the following deer, 
but I didn't miss it with my Fiat 124 coupe. I got out to straddle the kicking deer and put it out of its misery with my pocket knife. <laughs> that, I, I, that, can just, <laughs> I can just imagine. It's the best <laughs> visual right now. Yeah, exactly. Carl straddling this deer. <laughs> exactly. And for those that don't know Carl, I mean, we, we, he's, he's much older now, but he's kind of this, kind of this grizzly Adams. He's got this, he's got this, well, I don't know if he had a beard at the time, but he's got a, he's got a beard now. He rides a motorcycle, like a Harley motorcycle, I think. And uh, so he's, he's, you know, he wears like a leather jacket. He, he looks like a guy like you, you would want him to have your back in a bar site, in a bar oh, fight, yeah, you know? Yeah. So if there's anybody that could straddle a deer and kill it with a pocket knife, pocket knife, it would be Carl, right? If, if anything breaks out at an IAFP meeting, I want to be on Carl's side. <laughs> oh, before, before I finish, before I finish this Carl story, brief segue. So uh, again, uh, at this uh, program committee meeting, uh, Don Zink, uh, a good friend and colleague of ours from FDA is there. And, and, and we, Don was asking about, do people, you know, do, do, do academics room together any, any more at meetings to save money? I said, no, we don't really do it. We make our graduate students room together at meetings. And he said, oh, I, I, I have shared a room with Carl. <laughs> and he says, what, what happens is usually Carl comes back to the room around 10 o'clock. He takes the bottle of tequila out of his luggage that he brought with him. And then he goes away for a couple hours and you don't see him till two or three when he quietly comes back to the room. <laughs> Perfect. He's, a, he's a, the best roommate. <laughs> best roommate. So anyway, so Carl is straddling the kicking deer, uh, getting ready to put it out of its misery with his pocket knife. Uh, he says, thankfully, it died quickly. He said, next, I turned around and drove to the guard shack to report the dead deer. I swear, this is Carl writing, I swear the guard licked his lips. <laughs> the next morning, reporting the event to coworkers, I learned that in Maryland, you hit it, it's yours. <laughs> Damn, that smashed grill and headlight was all I got. So <laughs> It was awesome. It was, uh, I just, I, I longed to... Uh, uh, write stuff that causes Carl to write me a message back because it's oh, almost always yes. like this. It's almost always great like that. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, where should we go here? We've got so much. Yeah, um, yeah maybe we, I know we did a lot on um, coffee mugs last time, but but I just wanted to follow up a little bit on that, yeah, if that's yeah. okay. Yes. So, um, so in... And again, refer back to Food Safety Talk uh, episode 34 for for information about my my interview and uh, fun stuff on on coffee mugs. But um, this whole thing apparently got started with a Huffington Post article, which we will link to. Um, and and in the in the Huffington Post article, it says uh, you know Gerba says bring it home daily to be washed in a dishwasher on the hottest possible settings. Like okay, whatever. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that. Nobody else is gonna do that. It's just stupid advice, right? Um, uh, and then uh, uh, follow up from the Men's Health article, but in the in the the Men's Health article. It, it links to another article um, from Mamapedia, and this is really what I want to talk to is uh, talk about is the Mamapedia article, and and so what? And this is this is a god awful website, but the, in the Mamapedia article it says how to disinfecting dishware outside the dishwasher, and so it's like well. This is great. You know, the Internet is wonderful, right? We have uh, the ability for anybody to literally post anything anywhere. And, and, and this this gets cited, I think, in the men's health article. It it's does. like it's like, really, really, we're going to we're going to now link to something called Mamapedia, which is this ad filled site that 
you know, that people where people, and again, I, I'm all in favor of people being, being able to share information and, and all that. That's wonderful. But, but really is that, that's, that's, that's what passes for journalism now. I'm, uh, yes. uh I just, I'm just disgusted by it. <laughs> I'm clearly, as soon as I clicked on the Mamapedia website, I thought, how can we get more information that's good to Mamapedia? Not let's shun Mamapedia, but now I need to be, I, I'm, it's a crusade, a Mamapedia crusade. And my my graduate student Ben, my you know, is, uh, I think I shared that I'm only uh, um, accepting graduate students with with my name now. Right, right. Um, it's good. Yeah, it's well, it's convenient for everybody. Uh, ben, <laughs> ben, who, <laughs> yeah, we'll, um, we'll link we'll link to the uh, the the Monty Python uh, Hello Bruce. Uh, sketch, right, right, show exactly. Notes. Or these are the Daves I know from uh, uh, the kids in the hall. Um, so anyway, Ben Ben Raymond is is working on. Um, uh, social media, um, how to, really how to engage uh, people uh, around food safety issues and social media. And, and one of the things that, that he's going to focus on or he thinks he's going to focus on um, in the next couple of months is mommy blogs. And so I saw him today and he looked at me and goes, I hate mommy blogs. I hate them. And now that I know about Mommapedia, he's going to love this. So I'm, his next task, Ben, if you're listening, is to um, figure out how we can impact Mommapedia with with the work you're doing <laughs> yeah and, you know and, and i think again you know good good for you guys for for thinking about mommy blogs because apparently these are a pretty big thing oh huge yeah, yeah. i mean um you know I, I, it's no no secret that i've got you know sort of two young kids and and when danny my wife was um uh, pregnant and and when our both of our boys were kind of newborn mommy blogs were were a source for for both of us i mean really on um you know p- parenting stuff and you know my kid's got some weird discharge from his eye what have other people seen you know not not so much uh, as a definitive source but kind of a first place for us to um uh, to to look so that we could open it up to to other uh, other things um you know at three o'clock in the morning as opposed to to call in a healthcare provider or, or whatever but but there the, the the thing that's um that amazes me about um mommy blogs and i mean it's not just you know limited to to that um that demographic is just how active the users are how um the community forms how uh certain hot topics kind of just spin out of control we saw it with uh pink slime and i'm sure i mean i haven't done a lot of looking in the last couple of weeks but i'm sure on mommy blogs there's going to be a discussion uh, about horse meat and food fraud and, and stuff like that. So it's it, they're um, you know wickedly popular and um, and, and 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 our communities on on their own. And I think um, there's um, the whole idea around getting into social media networks and understanding. Um, social networks, I should say, not just social media networks, but understanding what that target audience is really about. And then instead of sort of discrediting the information, being able to reach out to the, to the leaders, the, the folks that are sort of the loudest and look to, um, to me, it was really, really, um, crystallized in this paper from, um, Val, um, Val Hilliers from Washington state, not around, I mean, it's not around mommy blogs, but she did this really, really nice work, uh, extension work on, um, raw milk, uh, cheeses to the, uh, extension with a Hispanic population through, um, uh, abuelas. Uh, so this, you know, the, um, elder, 
um, wise uh, woman who knows a lot about food within a Hispanic family. And, and to me, that's what mommy blogs are. They're, they're like the abuelas of, uh, of, you know, young parents and, and moms that are, that are looking for information. So it's, it's kind of like, how do you, how do we get, how do we get to them? Uh, is a, is a really fun question for us to, to look at. Yeah. Like the abuelas of social media or something. The abuelas yeah. Of social media. Yeah. <laughs> Episode title, Andreas. Yes. Yes. <laughs> to that or straddling the tear. Yeah. To put it out of its misery. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, and that's uh, that's good. It's good stuff, and we should we should mention too uh, that actually speaking of mommy blogs, uh, your wife Danny has a, a mommy blog. We can say that, right? Sure, yeah, absolutely. I think we promoted it before, we so did. a very very cool uh, very cool name. Uh, two little superheroes, and uh, and 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 she's got some cool stuff. I don't have kids any any. I have kids. I don't have I don't have little kids, <laughs> um, but uh, but it's it's cool, and I'm and I'm glad uh, I'm glad she's doing it. And then the other the other thing too that this made me think of is uh, there was a, a recent uh, episode of Portland. Landia, um, that, that, uh, talking about giving people advice, it opened with, uh, books on parenting and that this one, this couple, uh, is, is, is looking for books on parenting. And it's just a funny little bit at the, 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 the beginning of a recent Portlandia episode. And we'll find the YouTube video and link to it, but it's just, uh, it just shows again, it's sort of like podcasting advice, right? You know, it needs to be longer. It needs to be shorter. The other <laughs> exactly. guy needs to talk more. The other guy needs to talk less. And, and as, as someone in that demographic, it's just it, it, it's nice to have some somewhere instant support where someone else is dealing with the exact same thing that you are, <laughs> whether, oh. they're, whether they're right or wrong. It's, you well, know, and, it's, it's it, that's the community. That's incredible. And, yeah. and and you know, I mean, and I again, we I I use this today. I was uh, in the trying to update my GPS with new software. And having a horrible, horrible time. It kept going really, really slow. So I searched around on the internet and I found out a lot of other people reporting the same problem. But but after like the third forum that I looked at, somebody said, hey, if you're using this software from Garmin, I've had the same problem. Try using this other software from Garmin. And it's like, oh, wow. Okay, let me try this. Wow. Hey, it works. And boom. And now my Garmin GPS is updated. Just thanks to complete strangers on the internet. I love the internet. It's so great. It is. Well, what should we what should we do here? Oh well, you know, this is this is a little bit old, but um, I it's it I think it it bears uh, it bears mentioning. It's a great uh, Barf blog post uh, by Doug, and the title is "Poop Cruise Passengers Get Bathrobes." Right, (laughs) Uh, so uh, there was a a recent uh, cruise uh, that uh, apparently lost power uh, during the cruise, and what that meant was apparently really bad stuff happened, like the toilet stopped working. And, um, and and so in an attempt to mollify the 4,000 passengers that were adrift, as again, quoting from, from Barfblog, adrift in, uh, adrift in poop on a disabled ship in the Gulf of Mexico, um, they gave them bathrobes. Um, and, and somebody responded to this, who wants a stinky robe? Uh, you know, so and again, in, in this day, and again, this is brings it back to social media, too. In this day of social media, um, you know, people uh, people are going to tweet about that and, and, and Carnival Cruise Line. Is is going to be besieged uh, by by folks uh, making fun of them for thinking that that uh, giving somebody a bathrobe is going to make them feel better about having being stuck on a poop filled ship for a couple of days. Right. This um, that that whole 
uh, Cruz situation um, to me was like, like as you said, some really bad stuff was going on. Uh, toilets weren't working, and one of the things that um, that kind of came out as people were were tweeting about this uh, was they were given poop bags, um, bio you know biohazard bags to to go poop in because they you know and people were just sort of uh, you know uh, according to reports just going in, in the. Uh, um, uh, in the corner, and then uh, they're disposing of it some, somehow. But one of um, one of those poop bags was available on eBay, and I'll send this uh, this link to Andreas for show notes. Uh, sold for fifteen dollars. Carnival Triumph Cruise Red Bio Poop Bag. From, and the uh, tagline is "Cruise from Hell." Key, key question: Used or unused? It, uh, it item condition new. <laughs> okay, excellent. All right, I would get one. Totally get a new one. Yeah, yeah. it, it was uh, specifics. The uh, um, new, a brand new, unused. You know, it tells you uh, what it is. Uh, undamaged item. Um, the uh, seller's comments are: This is an actual Carnival Triumph Cruise from Hell biohazard red bag issued by the Carnival Triumph stewards for us to poop in, as the plumbing was not working and the 3,100 passengers had to relieve themselves somehow and somewhere on February 17, 2013. I was interviewed with Wolf Blitzer and Greta Van Susteren, uh, and this bag went viral with my photo. As this disaster unfolded, I will be glad to autograph it and send the original photo with it if interested. This is in mint condition, never used, thank God. Uh, Free shipping. And it went for $15? I know. That's kind of the amount. I would have easily paid $20 for that. Yeah. I would have paid twenty. Uh, I mean, really, just the the connection to Wolf Blitzer and Greta Van Susteren, <laughs> <laughs> and the, and the cruise passenger who could apparently hold it in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, must have used another bag. Um. So you know, there's. I want to ask your opinion on something, and this this relates to something else that's in, it's in show notes. Um. The the uh, or in uh, in uh, our our notes. Um. Which is. Uh, um, again, it's a barf blog uh, post. Uh, barefoot, blo- <laughs> be careful what you say. Yes. Uh, barefoot Joe's closed. Norovirus runs rampant at university in Tennessee, and it's an article about uh, Union University in Jackson, Tennessee, um, which was closed uh, for several days uh, after the virus uh norovirus made uh 300 of uh, of the 1100 students living on campus sick um this is something that keeps uh, keeps me up at night but this is something that i worry about at rutgers university um and we've seen norovirus outbreaks happen at other universities um i have you know every time i get a chance to to get in front of our dining services managers or talk with our university sanitarian i'm like you know Goat, and again, not to be a shill for Gojo, but I'm going to shill for Gojo. You know, Gojo uh, has a product that uh, apparently works against viruses. Now, they can't say that because right. of the restrictions. And we've talked about this before on the show about companies, how companies can make or, or, or make or don't make claims, um, virucidal claims on, on hand sanitizers. But there are, um, there is a product that does seem to work against viruses better than you know the non-enveloped uh, single-stranded uh, RNA viruses like norovirus, um, and you know, I, gosh, we should have a stockpile of that at Rutgers in the event of a norovirus outbreak. And I'm wondering, at <laughs> boy, that would be horrible if North Carolina State University had a norovirus. I just thought about it that w- <laughs> since the nor the norocore 
project. So the, the NoroCore is a USDA-funded project that Ben and I are, are both on that's led by Leanne Jacobs, Dr. Leanne Jacobs at North Carolina State University. And uh, it just got me thinking, man, if, you, if there was a norovirus, that, that would be very – I think that's what they call ironic, right? That's the correct use of, of, of ir- irony, right? It, yes, it would be. Um, and I don't know if um, – I don't think we've talked about this on the show, but um, – I, I talk about it in in uh, in presentations that I that I give. When when I was at Guelph um, and I was just finishing up my master's degree, I think it was, um, we had a norovirus outbreak uh, on campus, and a colleague of mine, Bray Surgener, uh, got got this fantastic idea that that I got to help her out with, which was let's go. While this outbreak's going on, like it, at, before it had peaked, let's go watch what people do when they go in the cafeteria, which had been sort of anecdotally reported as uh, ground zero for this uh, this outbreak. But I mean, it was like 400 kids got sick. Uh, kids, I mean, students got sick um, within the the university. And then what we what we did, um, and this is kind of you know going back uh, uh, around. Um, messages but we the the biggest public health message that was given was when you enter the this um cafeteria use this alcohol-based hand sanitizer you know b- before you come in which which isn't you know it's different from the gojo product um but it, it wasn't probably the best thing but what we wanted to do was sort of watch whether people did what they were told to do um in the in the heat of an outbreak um and uh, and they didn't. It was something like twenty seven percent of the the students we we observed. I mean, we just sat outside the outbreak or outside of the cafeteria, watched what people did, uh, and then we uh, conducted a survey about a month afterwards with all the students in that um, uh, in the um, affected dorm. And and man, we got like a ridiculous. Um, uh, I, I think it was, you know, something like a seventy percent or eighty percent um, response rate. So, so we had a pretty good sense that who we had seen going into the cafeteria, uh, we likely had also captured their um, uh, what what they did or what they reported. And so, what our, our you know our project was all about. Uh, are they going to tell us that they always use the sanitizer when they went in? And then can we match that up with, uh, you know, what did the, the sample of the population actually do when we watched them? Um, and so it was, no, it was like 27% did and 95% said that they always uh, used it when they went in, in to the cafeteria. But, but that was, I mean, that was my experience of being on campus when something bad went down and it, you know, fortunately it was norovirus. So it wasn't, um, you know, there weren't any um, hospitalizations or deaths uh, associated with it, but man, it had student housing services and dining services scrambling um the health health unit the health um you know local health unit in in guelph uh we were kind of in in contact with them on um what you know messages and and things that that they could do with um with managing it and it was i mean it was it was kind of crazy to to be on campus when this was all going down so yeah, hopefully I don't have to um, d- deal with that, and I do kind of feel bad when um, when things like this do do happen uh, at other universities. But it happens a lot. Yeah, it does. I mean, we we seem to see a couple of at least well publicized outbreaks uh, every year. There was one a couple of years ago at a Boy Scout camp. Um, and uh, and we see a couple of university outbreaks. I'm sure there are prison outbreaks as well, but we probably don't uh, we probably don't always hear about those. But yeah, but it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty serious, and it's not it's not life threatening. But man, it sure can be disruptive, and it does get your name in the papers in not a good way. It sure does. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's bad. I mean, and and Doug, you know, Doug's comment at the end of this blog post is 
um, is one that, that we, you kind of have to think about from the dining services uh, standpoint is um, a lot of times, especially in the later afternoon and evening shifts on campuses, the, the students who are attending the school are also in the workforce. And so you've got this, this situation where your actual, you know, your workforce is in the dorms that are getting, um, getting hit by norovirus. And, and as a, someone who's running that from a management standpoint, you now got to really sort of keep track of who lives where and, and whether they've got, you know, whether they've recovered from symptoms and how long and, are, you know, a whole bunch of other risks that, that keeps that norovirus within the system through those, those food handlers, which, which doesn't, I mean, that's not the same thing that happens at a, at a Chick-fil-A, you know, not, you know, not, not everyone, because everyone goes home to different spots, they're not in the, the outbreak center uh, all the time. So it's, it's just an, an extra layer of um, uh, complexity. Right. And I, and I, I, thanks for mentioning that, 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 that was part of what I had also noted from that post is that, you know, Doug's advice is any students working in food service, don't go to work. It's an excellent idea. I yeah. mean, it's just uh, just common sense, and it makes me wonder, you know, how many universities have plans to actually deal with this? Because I think it's not it's not a matter of if; it's just a matter of when. I mean, right? I mean, you have kids living in close proximity. We know the uh, the very rapid ability of norovirus to spread. Um, it just seems like a no brainer. You got to have a plan to deal with that. Absolutely. Well, we've uh, we're at like an hour and fifteen minutes. Should we uh, should we should we call it? Is there something else we want to? Well, there, there, there lots are of things here. lots of things, yeah. thanks to our very cool uh, way of uh, looking at all of our, our stuff we've added to potentially talk about. But no, I think that's a show. Yeah, let's, uh, that's good. Well, hey, that was awesome. And as always, um, listeners that are, that are listening, uh, do, don't hesitate to go to iTunes and uh, rate our show and provide some feedback and you know, send it to us uh, uh, directly or, or on iTunes or on uh, foodsafetytalk.com. But uh, thanks for listening. And thanks, Don, for uh, chatting today. Yeah, thank you, Ben. And I would also say, too, um, go ahead and uh, rate us in iTunes. Um, and if, you need a, if you'd like a refrigerator magnet, we're not trying to buy your favor, but we are trying to buy your favor. If you want a refrigerator magnet, uh, please let us know. We, we still have uh, a few of them left, a very limited number, so call before midnight tonight. Um, I have to send a bunch off to uh, uh, Renee Boyer. But uh, seriously, if you'd like a refrigerator, refrigerator magnet, uh, please, do, please do let us know. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Tom. Bye. Stuff. Yeah, I was a little because you you've got to drive tonight, right? You've got to yes. Yeah, yeah I, I don't a little cognizant of time. I oh, don't want to cut us thanks. off. But, thanks. Yeah, and I, you know the other thing too that I noticed is I did uh, I did not have a cup of coffee before I do it, and so in the, if it's an evening if it's an evening episode, I'm I, I have a, a beverage of choice, and uh, if it's an afternoon, it's a beverage of choice. that's coffee usually, and uh, I kind of felt like, huh, I like uh, I'm not very excited. <laughs>
Well, maybe it was me. Maybe maybe I'm not exciting today. Oh, I, you know, you were great. You were going like you were. You were like it's like I feel I feel guilty. I've been talking so much. I feel oh, like I'm uh, I'm like slacking off. I, I nah, so no, you did great. More good. more of him, less of him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. More of you, exactly. less of you. Yeah, no, it's good. No, exactly. it's cool. I felt it was good. I, I mean, I, I really do find that um, if I put even just half an hour into going through these notes mm-hmm. um, beforehand. Like I did, I think I did most of the work on this on the 25th when I was putting in the, um, the, you know, three or four things that I put in and, and reading through your stuff, man, it makes a big difference. Cause it makes me kind of think about what I want to talk about. Um, so I've been trying to like cognizantly do that every time. So I thought, yeah, I think it was good. Yeah. And then what I, what I have been trying to do is every time I see something that I think I might want to talk about on the podcast, I throw it in the notes and that's why the file gets so big with so yeah. much stuff in there. But what I didn't do that this time is kind of go through and, and kind of look at them and say, okay, because all I'm doing is catching a, a you know a, a tagline, a URL, and then a little bit of text. And what I what I need to do is do that as well as say, okay, so all of all these great things that we could potentially talk about, which ones do I really want to talk about, and what what am I going to say? What's my what's my point? Um, and then and then fix a cup of coffee too. I think. Yeah, right, right. That's good. <laughs> or just or even a, a chai tea latte. So just yeah, it's not, well, I, well, I did. I did have. Uh, I did have the uh, seltzer with uh, uh, ginger syrup, but that's you know, there's no, there's no kick to that. <laughs> no, no, not not enough. Not enough. There we go. Oh, one thing I did uh, end up running into with the iTunes match um, was so I had a um, what was it called before the cloud, whatever a dot me account. Like I have two oh, mobile me. Yeah. yeah. I have two accounts. And yeah. so I have my, my iTunes, uh, login is, you know, had all my, um, my music stuff. And then my other iCloud account or mobile me account was where all my contacts and calendar was. And right, I just right, never right, yeah. moved it over, but I ran into problems with my iPhone because, um, my when I lo, you know put those those accounts on here the other the non iTunes one became my primary iCloud account mm-hmm. and it wouldn't work it wouldn't like it it wouldn't work with iTunes Match so I had to like delete the other one make the the um, whatever anyway what happened what I had to I had to mess around with it and then it ended up being that now I have like historically all of my um, calendar entries are doubled because I now have two like oh. mirror. So anyway, that was a pain in the ass going forward. It's fine. But I'd look at my like February right now and it's all like all stuff that I'd already done. It's got like two two entries for everything. So anyway, yeah, it's, it's, I had the same thing trying to get our calendar sorted out with, um, getting so Kristen and I could see each other's calendars, but we didn't have duplicates and then, you know, not, and not having like, she doesn't want my alarms. She wants to see what I'm doing, but she doesn't want my alarms popping up. And, and then the other, the other problem that we had with, um, uh, with, with iTunes is that we had, uh, she, we, we, we have actually three iTunes accounts between the two of us, but the problem so she, her, her account got, got hacked or she needed to change the password. And then anyway, it's just, it's a big mess. And so now basically the bottom line is she has uh, apps on her devices that are linked to two different oh, accounts. That's and the worst. so, but now at least we have it sorted so that she knows the password on both accounts. And so I'm like, wow, there's gotta be some complicated way to, and she's like, why don't you just give me the password for the other account? And it's like, <laughs> 
Huh. Yeah, that would work. Okay. I I had a much more complicated thing in mind that wouldn't work. (laughs) So anyway, so, so anyway, so now that works and she can get all of the, all the apps like, well, you have to, the free apps, you can, you can delete the old free apps and download the new free apps on the new account, but then the paid apps, you got to decide, it's like, just give me the password. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, and I I had that problem for a while as well because I had my, um, I had a, I have a Canadian like iTunes account so I can, right. you know, so that, that's still, so, and I had downloaded you know, a couple of times mistakenly while I was signed into that account, some app. So every time I, I signed up, it was like, Oh, I've got it. It doesn't have the password for it and all that kind of stuff. And then I wouldn't let me do it because I wasn't in Canada. I mean, a whole bunch of, anyway, so I've rectified that, but I understand what you're saying. Mm, what a mess. Oh, bad. All right. So we, I, I think I told you that I'm doing this, um, variance committee, for like the statewide variance committee for the food code. Uh-huh. So I'm like the um, academic um, partner or, or, you know, academic member for, the, for that. So, um, uh, but what, what's kind of happening for, for us is someone that, you know, um, a, a, an agent who uh, is getting a call about someone who needs to do a variance for sushi rice or for reduced oxygen packaging, like sous vide or something like that. Um, have you, I mean, uh, do you, does, do you know how that's handled in, in New Jersey? Like if someone do agents help businesses with that, or would they, would they come directly to you or to someone else? Um, and, and it's, and it's mainly independent restaurants, like the, the, um, uh, the chain restaurants are are going to be able to handle any of their their own stuff in house, but it's kind of like a guy who owns you know sushi rice is probably the best example. We'll probably have like four hundred variances across the state for sushi rice, and and so I'm trying. What I'm trying to do is figure out how to manage that, like because they're going to need our our stipulation, which is in line with the food code, is if they have a variance, they're going to have to have to have a HASA plan that goes along with it. Um, but I don't, since I'm sitting on this variance committee, I can't help. Like, I feel weird helping them write a HASA plan. Um, so I want to help the agents be able to do that. So I don't know. Do you, do you know anything about this? Yeah. So, um, to answer your first question first, um, I don't think any agents in New Jersey have the technical expertise needed to do this. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So, um, I mean, you know, that, and that's just nothing against them. They no. do very good at what they do, but this is, requires a pretty high level of sophistication. So if somebody wanted such a variance, uh, they would need to go to a consultant or, or to me to do that. Um, with sushi rice, though, there's enough information out there about people that need to do sushi rice. Like I've had a, a, a few sushi rice questions over the years and my advice has always been I sort of Google it. I yeah. find that there's kind of one standard way and I say, look, just use this and if you need additional documentation, I'll write a letter saying that this is sufficient and you should be able to use it. And that way, I'm just I'm just basically endorsing this this recipe that everybody else on the web seems yeah. to be using for sushi rice. Now, if it's more complicated than that, then it, it kind of gets into well, okay, you need a challenge study, or you need a modeling study, or you need something that is going to be more complicated than something I can just do like in a minute here, you know, uh, helping you on the phone or, or sending you like a generic form letter. So. Well, and yeah, I mean, sushi rice is the, is the big one. And then, um, that, that's kind of what I, my, where I got stuck on this is I, 
I would like to be able to do you know do what you're doing on sort of writing a letter if it's a, if it's a little more, but I can't do it since I sit on I'm like the voting on the member. variance committee. Yeah, yeah. and I kind of like I don't know screwed myself a little bit on that because I'm now I'm the like I'm the technical person to to help folks with it, and I don't want to push them towards um, a consultant if they you know if they oh have, yeah so you know because that's kind of what I do yeah um, but, yeah um, yeah. Well, and and I and I, the the I guess the the situation with me is that there's only only one food safety extension guy in New Jersey for everything for mm. consumers for restaurants for food processors and I'm that guy so I mean if I don't do it it's just not going to get done right. now if you have a colleague that could do it then I would say that you know you that should just send those people to that colleague and again if if it's all sushi rice then it, that's, you know yeah. And and yeah, I mean, or or you know what? One thing you could do is you could say you could take this to the variance committee and say, hey, look, we get a ton of requests for sushi rice. Can we? Can all of us on the variance committee just agree that we will accept the the following sushi rice variances? And then anytime anybody asks, you say, well, this is actually a pre-approved North Carolina sushi rice variance. Yeah, and this is the this is the one that yeah, okay. Well, and I, I, you know, I kind of have the same concern around the, um, the agent side of things. I was just trying to figure out how to help manage this on the, you know, on the ground because they're the ones that are getting the first call uh, on this. So, and we, and what we had, I had tossed around with a couple of folks that um, that worked for me on this was, all right, can we deliver some, you know, HACCP? Training, we, you know, we've got a HACCP certification course um, that that's run out of food science. Is that something that we could do by distance to these agents who are interested in this to give them some of that capacity? But is that, I mean, is that overkill for sushi rice because it may be that they use that training once or twice? I don't know. I'm just kind of, I'm just, I'm just asking around to see how others handle it um, to see what we what, what we want to do. But I like your idea of going back to that variance committee and saying, okay, let's let's agree on some sort of a common type of uh, process for, for this. Cause it's, cause sushi rice isn't going to, I mean, vary too much. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and again, if you go out on the web and you look for yeah, you know, sushi, rice, variants, food safety, you know, whatever, you'll find plenty of recommendations and they all, they all basically deal with, get, you know, you need a pH meter, you know what the pH limits for Bacillus serious control are, so you acidify the rice to that, and boom, you're good to go. And you're right, exactly, yeah.